Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cloud and Clear, our podcast, our YouTube video cast, our cast at wherever you can hear it cast from SADA and Insight Company. We are really excited that you've joined us today. I'm Michael Ames. I'm a managing director in our industry professional services team. Thrilled to be doing an interview today with David Carter, director of Web3 and financial services. David, say hello to the people at home. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. And Michael, thanks for having me. This is, this is we're coming close to an anniversary. I first met Dave uh, two years ago at the ETH conference here in Denver. He was out here visiting. I did not have my eyes on Web3 at all. I was watching the, the, the Bitcoin news. I had a vague understanding of, of uh, blockchain and, and, and how these things interrelated. And people were saying, hey, this guy is coming to your town and you need to go meet him. We went downtown, we met for breakfast, and that was the beginning of a journey for me in understanding some things that I, have that, I, that I had never before understood what they were or even why they were important. Dave has been a great sort of sensei for me in learning what this technology can do and how we think it's gonna be transformative in the future. And so I'm excited for you to get to hear from him on some of those topics. Will you take 30 seconds, Dave, and give us, give us your, your background, your qualifications, sort of like what got you here and what's, what's what inspires you to be working in this space? Thank you so much, Michael. Um, so 30 seconds. Um, most of my career has been oriented towards how do we get access to outcomes faster, better, and more trustworthy. And so um, whenever I'm working on a project, it's about you know how do we build the right community, the right tech um, to get access to the right outcomes. And my journey to Web3 was um, an accidental journey. It was not a journey that I purposefully took. Um, I encountered a problem about seven years ago where we needed to achieve something that at the time, the only tool available to us was a piece of blockchain technology. And that set me down the rabbit hole. And I, I've never come out. Uh, this technology um, and the broader technologies that are being built around, around Web3 specifically are exciting and frankly, um, to, to my mind, going to be useful to every industry we serve. Exciting. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to digging in with you a little bit more. Um, let's start with some of the basics, because I think most of us think we understand what cryptocurrency is. And sometimes we conflate that with Web3. And I know that's not the case, but right. we've got a lot of people out there. We have a technical audience here. They're smart, but they might not be deep in this technology. Can you help them understand what the technology is and, and what our, our clients are experiencing with it? Yeah. So um, the, the way that I try to think about the notion of Web3, and it's just a term, but it's like any sets of terms that we choose to use. So like, for example, when we talk about like our own history, we talk about the Bronze Age or we talk about the Iron Age. And what's interesting when you think about that is that each one of those ages resulted in a whole new set of capabilities. When we were in the Copper Age, we could do specific things. And then when we moved into the Iron Age, the scale at which we could do things changed substantially. And so the the internet community is trying to find a way to describe its um, capabilities in that sort of evolutionary framework. And so Web3 um, is just a term that's associated in that way. And so when you think about Web1, 2, and 3, um, the way that I like to think about it and the way that I like to share with, with clients and customers is the first version of the web, Web1, the MVP version of the, the web, was about being able to read content. It was about being capable of having access to information. 
And that access to information immediately started to create problems because people wanted to make adjustments to it. People wanted to be able to do things with that information because that's what we naturally want to do. And so Web 2, like the, the evolution of, of the web, required us to make it possible to create systems that would make it possible to create content on the internet. And so much of the Web2 community is about not just reading content, but writing content, creating content, the social web, you might even hear it called. And um, that creates um, a, a new problem that we're actually experiencing right now. I would actually say that we're still in the Web2 era of the internet. And this emerging Web3 era is just now coming online. And the reason it's coming online is because of a new problem the Web2 internet has created. And that that problem is that we now have the ability to create information substantially faster than we can verify it, substantially faster than we can trust that information. And so now we're being forced to create new tools to verify what we're bearing witness to, to verify what um, what information and data is being presented to us. And so that's really like our thinking around Web3. It's, it's about being the verified, and, and you might even hear it sometimes called the owned web, because data always has an owner. And to the degree that we get to own our own information and, and, and be empowered to control our own data and verify that data, um, it affords us the ability to move faster. And that really is what this is all about. It's the ability to keep moving with speed because we can trust what we're doing. That's really the crux of Web3. I love the bronze and, and iron age um, analogies, just because I know among our audience are a lot of old time uh, Age of Empires players. And we understand <laughs> yeah. that metaphor implicitly. So Web 1, 2, and 3 align to basically read, write, and trust. Yes, that's right. Right? Okay, that's and right. I, I think that's a, I think that's a great way, um, a great way to think about it. And so there's a lot of technology under that. We'll, we'll get into some of those things a little bit in a minute. A lot of people are going to be like, "How is it Web three um, helps me to trust the content or the transaction or things like that?" We'll talk about those in in, in just a minute. But I, I guess I'd like to I'd like to to reference something that happened two years ago before you and I met. You were the featured guest on Cloud and Clear then but not as an industry leader for SADA, but as a customer, which is awesome. And it happened to be episode 100. It was a big deal. We'll put the link in the description and the show notes and people can click on that and go and, and, go and, uh, and take a look there. And I think it's interesting to, to examine how the conversation has changed from where you were two years ago to the conversation that we're having right now. And of course, a huge piece of that is artificial intelligence. So talk to us a little bit about how Web3 concepts intersect with artificial intelligence and what that means now? That's a great question. So like one of the things that is fundamentally true here, so as we talked about that, even that progression, that web one, two, and three progression, like reading, writing, and really verifying and trusting, um, you actually start to see those artificial intelligence use cases embedded actually in each one of those evolutions uh, of the internet, where, uh, you know, if we think about Google search by itself, it truly was one of the first algorithmic use cases for organizing information to make it possible to access data faster, right? And so if you think about the fact that blockchain technology, for example, has been being iterated on for actually 30 years, for a really long time, artificial intelligence principles have been being iterated on for a substantial period of time. But what has begun to happen now is that the accessibility 
of those capabilities are now becoming ubiquitous. They're becoming available to you. They're becoming available to me. They're becoming available to our children, becoming available to everyone. And so in that context, where you see those use cases coming online, so like, for example, in, in that first iteration, we talk about Google search, but it wasn't just like internet technologies, right? Even um, the ability to route traffic on the internet needed artificial intelligence capabilities in order to make it very efficient for you and I to have this conversation right now. You and I could not have this conversation right now if there wasn't artificial intelligence tools delivering our traffic between each other. And we're across the country right now. And so that capability by itself naturally leads to use cases. And so in the Web3 world, because we're working to verify trust, right, verify ownership, we need to have artificial intelligence tools to help us accelerate the access to those answers and generate new information based on those answers. And so the, the, the use cases, actually, when you think about, like even going back to that iron and bronze age, when you think about artificial intelligence use cases in Web 1, 2, and 3, those specific use cases naturally lend themselves to the need for artificial intelligence tooling. You know, part of what I think is so interesting is that, is that there has been so much discussion lately, appropriately, on concerns about the ability of AI to create deep fakes, to create fake content. It's our world is getting it is getting harder and harder to discern what is real from from what is not, um, and and Web three is of course designed to help provide that authenticity and trust. This content, again, this transaction, this piece of material are uh, sanctioned, provided by the person who it says provided them. That's, that's really hard to do right now on the internet. And I think it's interesting that the same technology, the same artificial, te artificial intelligence technology that is exacerbating that problem is also being used in conjunction with Web3 in order to try to solve that problem. That's, exa that's exactly right. And, and what, what's interesting about that, Michael, is that um, like what we, what we often think of almost immediately, like you had mentioned cryptocurrencies at the very beginning of this discussion, but we often think of when we think of blockchains is cryptocurrency. And the truth is, is that it is one use case that's an amazing use case. And it was a use case that was made for its time. Like the first true uh, cryptocurrency adoption cycle started in 2009 with the Bitcoin white paper. And it has taken a very long time for a, a tool like that to mature and become an offering that is now being adopted by every single major banking institution. Like those technologies are being investigated by every major, every major banking institution and now most nation states. Why? Because it actually makes a difference. For example, the reason that SADA accepts cryptocurrency itself for access to our professional services and Google Cloud Platform services is because our settlement time, like when we get paid by our clients and customers, the settlement time over cryptocurrency, substantially less than traditional markets and systems. And so customers will eventually expect these verifiable capabilities. And with that, the, the, the notion of us being able to advance platforms like this and the notion of us being able to take advantage of artificial intelligence platforms to continue to advance that, that capability are just going to continue to be used. Let, let's dig into some of those non-cryptocurrency use cases. So we know that part of what is fundamental about Web3 is, is decentralization. So how does AI converge with that? How does, how, how does it help to support the sort of decentralization of a, of a blockchain-based system? 
Yeah. So one of the things that's fundamentally true about like any distributed network is that seeing its edges are challenging and difficult. And so taking advantage of artificial intelligence tools, which can actually evaluate, and in some cases are actually algorithmically built specifically to evaluate networks like this, they're capable of scoring the decentralization of the platform and not just scoring it, but making recommendations on how to further decentralize the infrastructure. And when you think of decentralization, like there's the physical decentralization, but there's also the decentralization of decision-making. So in the context of many blockchain ecosystems, as votes are conducted in order to say, hey, we're gonna advance this feature or we're gonna advance that feature, the ability to use artificial intelligence to verify the decentralization of those voting mechanisms and um, their efficacy is part of the value that tools like that naturally provide. It takes work, by the way. So I'm describing a capability but I don't want to understate, like I just said something in a sentence that is complex, uh, a, a complex problem with a lot of variables and a lot of iterative work that needs to get done to achieve it. The work is worth doing. Well, we have, I want to dig in more with use cases, but since you mentioned it, let's talk about it. We're, we're here in the business of helping our clients implement solutions with these yeah. technologies. It is hard but there are some things that, that make it easier. So maybe you could talk a minute about what are the, the products or the capabilities from Google Cloud or our other partners that we're working with to help simplify this for our clients. Yeah, so uh, I appreciate that. So, so like one of the things that, that we really aim for, particularly when we're talking to clients about the adoption of blockchain technologies and, and, and things like zero knowledge proofs and other technologies in the Web3 community, it's always about the use case. It's always about like, how does this actually help you get access to the thing you're trying to do? So whether we're talking about Google Cloud, say blockchain node engine service, um, which you know works, you know, we expect to see um, many, many of our, both our Web3 clients are already taking advantage of that technology, but also our non-Web3 clients, our clients that are looking to adopt this set of technologies, they're beginning to investigate and see how those tools can be valuable to them and their businesses. And so as we, as, as, as we start taking advantage of those types of tools, what we start to expect to see is that it's not about Web3 clients adopting this technology inside of Google Cloud. It's about um, clients in every industry thinking about how they adopt Web3 tools to advance their missions. And so conversations about real world assets, how do we support um, the, the, the utilization of healthcare data uh, without compromising personally identifiable information or data privacy? Those types of capabilities and, and quite frankly, requirements, both from a regulatory perspective, but also from an individual perspective. Like I care about my data privacy personally, and so to the degree that they can help me verify those things and know that my data is being used effectively, it increases trust, both on the practitioner, but also on the individual consumer level. And so whether it's healthcare data, whether it's supply chain logistics data, whether it's uh, you know, how a piece of food gets from um, the field to my dinner plate, the ability to verify that is increasingly something that our customers expect to be capable of doing. You know, I think the uh, verification piece is particularly relevant to folks in the in the uh, in the creator community, music, artists, performers, writers of all kinds. Um, and again, back to the the problem that I discussed about about deep fakes and fake content. Um, talk about that a little bit. So so how 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 do Web three and AI work together in authenticating the assets that are coming out of the creator community? 
there's a few things there to, to think about. The first one is oriented around creation, right? So if, if we think about the notion of creating content, particularly in in the, the like, let's let's start with the gaming community, the ability to use artificial intelligence to create visual content that can then be attributed to its inceptor. Say like so, say that I go into a game where I want to be able to create an avatar based on a prompt. Those are the kinds of core generative AI capabilities that they're beginning to, to take advantage of and use. And then in the context of that, inside of some gaming platforms, and we do have relationships with gaming companies that are actively doing this, that content is then able to be used inside of those gaming communities on behalf of others, and it's always traceable back to the original creator. And so from a practical point of view, that kind of capability adds a lot of not just flexibility, um, but opportunity for users to get connected to the stories of the games that they play or the ecosystems they participate in. I mean, I love the kind of pipeline that you're describing there. So the capability for user-generated content incorporated into a game is exciting, but who wants to generate content if it's going to be able to be ripped off and stolen and used in an inauthentic way? That's and right. And so being able to move kind of seamlessly from the generation of the content into the securing and the sort of I'm going to make a word trustifying of the concept through a through a, a, a of the content through a a blockchain infrastructure is awesome, right? That's a one-two punch. It is that then greatly enhances the value of that content that was created because it's positively identifiable, right, and authenticatable. That's right. That's right. And thereby increases the increases the value of the of the game and the experience. You know, there there are more use cases that we could dig into. We could dig into decentralized autonomous organizations. We can dig into AI powered marketplaces. Some of the stuff we're going to need to do in another episode, because I think that there are a couple of things that, that, that you articulate really well, which are around things like the ethical implications of, of some of this. If we're, if we're building web three powered AI applications, what are the biggest problems that we need to be thinking about to ensure we're doing this in a responsible and ethical way? Individual personal participation is paramount here. So every single one of us as a human is engaging with the internet in some way that's valuable to us. And the decisions that we choose to make on it um, are almost always predicated on trust. And so to the degree that we can help our customers and clients, to the degree that the industry itself advocates for individual empowerment, the ability for individuals to put, to choose how they participate, where they participate and how they access or don't access that material. Um, that's the degree to which I think, you know, from an ethical point of view, what we do is we create um, a safe place to engage in innovation. It's about, because like trust is what enables us to move faster. I get on a plane because I trust that the pilot is capable of getting me from point A to point B. And I trust the system that enables the pilot to do that very thing. And so this is a mechanism to do very similar style things for the internet. Talk to me, if you were gonna give us like top three industries that you think are gonna be affected in the next few years by these capabilities, what would your one, two, and three be? Okay, so um, I'm gonna to try to do it in order of impact and we're talking active impact right now. Um, financial services is actively being disrupted, um, utterly and completely. And anyone that's in the financial services space that's listening to this, is, they're probably listening to this because they're already feeling this pressure and they're already hearing terms like Web3 and blockchain and why, you know, how can you do this and how can we enable that and, and how do we start taking advantage of those capabilities? Um, 
I would say second to that, and it's a very, very close second, uh, is healthcare and, and life sciences. And the reason that I, I, I biased myself to healthcare and life sciences is because of how personal it actually is. It's a, it's another, so finance is a personal thing. It's personal in business. It's personal to, you know, to person. It's peer to peer. Same thing is true with health. Like we engage each other in healthcare conversations exceptionally regularly. So healthcare is a second. And I would say third, and this is um, tricky, um, but I actually think it's necessary, public sector. So the reason I think the government itself and public sector by and large is going to need to adopt these technologies is because of our citizens' expectations, because of citizens' expectations. We want our systems of government to be verifiably true. We all want that. Like that's an easy statement to make. But the act of doing it is exceptionally difficult and exceptionally challenging, particularly in large scale systems. And so those are the three big ones I feel like are going to have the most immediate impact, but there isn't a single industry that's not going to be able to take advantage of these capabilities. I mean, part of what I love in talking to you about these things, David, is, is that your answers are so often, they almost seem orthogonal to what the kind of, I'm going to call it Web3 pop culture might answer, right? So one example is all of the talk, talking that we've been doing about capabilities and impacts and things that have nothing to do with cryptocurrency. Right. And that answer just there about public sector, there is so much in sort of the ethos of Web3 that feels like it can read like, oh, our intent here is to be, we're going to, is, is almost anarchist, right? That, that we're going to use this technology in order to not have anything to do with the government. Um, and, and I love this idea that the fact is, as we get as citizens more and more accustomed to, and even to the point where we're sort of demanding verifiability in our transactions, in our content in our history and our records and things like that. But yeah, that's going to cross over. And the government as a citizen is going to have all of the same motivations and needs to engage in these platforms as, as we are. So uh, I think that's great. And I have always enjoyed your um, distinctive perspective on this, which leads us to our, our last topic. So two years ago, you, you did one of these as a, as a customer. Uh, two years from now, We'll do another one, but look forward and, and think about, you know, one, two, five years from now, what, what part of this conversation is going to be different? What's going to be new? What will we look back on and say, Dave was right in this prediction coming true today? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I do feel like this, these next two years are about making it e easy and seamless to engage in these tools. And that is not true today. So these tools fundamentally have to come to the background so that people can engage with them when they know that it's necessary to verify trust or verify ownership or engage in a transaction, but become almost behind the scenes. You know, we don't think about the word databases very often, but we use them constantly. We think about databases. Same thing I think is going to be true for, for Web3 tools and capabilities. The expectations of what they can do will just fall to the background and it'll be table stakes for everyone. So you're expecting it to, to, to go the way of the light switch. Yes. Uh, ubiquitous in every room. We don't think about it. We don't realize it's not there until it's not there. That's right. And we're wandering around in the dark, wondering how to see anything. Um, that's a bold prediction. And, and, and is that a one or a two or a five-year prediction? 
I actually think um, so. It's not a one year prediction, um, but I do, I don't think it's a five year prediction. I'm going to say somewhere around two to three years. It's exciting. Okay, well, we will check in in two years again and see where we're at on that. Um, this has been amazing. There's so much more content that we could dive into, and we'll look for opportunities and forums to do that. I want to thank folks who've tuned in to listen or to watch this. Reach out if you've got specific questions. We'd love to get you in touch with folks at SADA, like David, who can help to answer some of these really interesting deep industry and technology questions. Um, join us again in a couple of weeks for another episode of Cloud and Clear. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com.